Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what is the future of virtual assistants? And when I say virtual assistants, I mean, you know, uh, like Siri and Google Now and Cortana and Alexa. I'm talking about software that you talk to that helps you organize your life, basically, right? Do we have a better uh, definition of it than that? I just, I just winged that one. I actually think we should not try to define this one. I think this is pretty fuzzy because okay. I think already you could see just computers themselves as like weak personal assistants. That's I mean, right. Uh, when they first made portable palm computing, like the Newton, remember the Apple Newton? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was called a personal digital assistant, right? Wasn't that the name of that? product category uh pda is a thing yeah. yeah like palm pilots were another thing in that mm -hmm. category that existed for a while that were kind of like a pre-smartphone smartphone that didn't make calls yeah i mean computers like handle your calendar and like they give yeah. you lists of information on topics you want to know so your entire computer is a personal assistant so I, I i think it's a fuzzy definition and i think that's okay i think so here's what i want to talk about i want to talk about three areas of improvement that will make computers better at being personal assistants and more like the human personal assistants that right now only rich and important people have. Ah, uh, okay. So right now, these assistants, they're not that good. They're not that good. Like I have Google Now on mm -hmm. my phone and I use it sometimes like when I'm in the car and it would be technically illegal to touch my screen, mm -hmm. but it's not great. The experience is slow and it only understands a few things, and it just in general is much weaker than like if I had a human being sitting in the seat next to me who could just operate my phone for me. Absolutely, yeah. That would work a lot better, as of now. As of now, it would be better to, again, be rich or important enough to hire an actual human, and that would probably do a lot more for your life than to just simply have Google Now. But that might change, and that's kind of the future we want to look at. Is right. They wouldn't be putting so much effort into making these kinds of software if they didn't think they were going to get useful soon, right? Yes, and there's a lot of activity around this area right now. I mean, all the major players are, are working on improving what they're calling intelligent personal assistant software. Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, and Google all have big products that do this. Right, including some, some smaller players that are getting into this, which we'll talk about as well. Right. So let's go through these three areas of improvement, right, that make computers better personal assistants, right? Okay. We're going to do them roughly in order from least transformative to more transformative, or at least how I ranked them. You can see if you agree. Okay. So the first category is natural language interface, because to me, this is really the only addition of these assistant software apps that you mentioned, like Siri, Google, Now, Cortana, Alexa, etc., is that they just marry normal computer operations to a natural language interface. That's, that's what they bring to the table. Right. And, you know, natural language processing is still badly in need of some improvement. Uh, it still misunderstands a lot of things, but yeah. it is getting better all the time. Yeah, really rapidly lately, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Although right now, I'd say the biggest problem with it is it's just slow. I mean, it's actually pretty accurate on my phone. But the process of like recording audio, sending the audio up to the server, figuring out what the words are that I said, piping that information back to the phone where it can do something with it, just takes forever. Yes, but I've seen some demos of some new software that is considerably faster. Two new players in this space are, are Viv. I think assume that's how you say their name. Okay, V-I-V, -V, yeah, Viv I or Viv. I yeah. don't know. This is a new startup by uh, some of the original creators of Siri. Okay. Uh, that have gone out on They've their gone own. Gone rogue. Gone rogue, yes. And then another company is called Soundhound, and they have some pretty interesting demos online that show some really fast response to some really complex questions. And Do they also have a cute dog logo? Uh, I didn't see one when uh, I was at their website. Missed opportunity, Soundhound. I'm sure it was. Get on that. Uh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, well, so let's back up a second I'm and just talk. A dog wearing he headphones. That's a dog wearing headphones. Yeah. Well, they, they started as a music recognition company, like a uh, like a Shazam. Like a Shazam. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. But now they're they're into you know speech recognition technology. I, you could see how that algorithm could get repurposed if you woke up one day and realized Shazam had all of your market share. Or if you like, or ultimately wanted to get into speech recognition, you might say, let's just start with music. Start with music. Sure. Let's corner that market first. Music matching makes sense. Yeah. 
Uh, so what are the improvements that these guys are doing? Well, so a lot of the current apps, I'm sure people know if they use Siri, for example, and have heard Siri's, you know, bad jokes in response. To, actually, sometimes they're reasonably good jokes because they've been written by professional comedians. By humans. But uh, yeah, I mean, Siri essentially works very similar to just a bunch of if-then statements. I mean, a lot of it's just hard-coded, right? What right. if people ask about the weather? And what if they ask about the sports scores? Right. And what if they ask about this silly thing? Like, they ask a dumb question like, who's your daddy or whatever. And, you know, Siri has a pre-programmed response. Right. And they all kind of work similar to that. And that actually is surprisingly powerful. If you pre-program enough of these things, it's a brute force method, but it gets the job done in a lot of cases. Right. But it has its limitations. So I know Viv, for example, you know, they're trying to actually model the underlying concepts of what the person is saying. So it's not hard-coded in advance, right? So that the system actually learns and, you know, develops an understanding based on what people are saying. Another one of the improvements that they're touting is the ability to handle multiple requests, right? So if you are asking Siri, where does my cousin live, right? That might look at one service, like say Facebook, and figure out where your cousin lives, Mm -hmm. right? And you might be able to also ask Siri, you know, what's the weather like in Denver, yeah, uh, and that they, works. And they I could, tried that. And they could also look up that weather service right. and get the answer. Right. But Viv is claiming that you could ask a more complicated combination of things like, what's the weather like where my cousin is? And it would figure out your cousin lives in Denver and then give you the answer. So it could access like multiple services and then collate the answer and tell you your cousin's in Denver where it's this many degrees. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like an improvement over what they've got now. Yeah. And then the other thing, area of improvement is just following the context from question to question, like tracking pronouns, right? Like if I say, what is the weather like where my cousin lives, right? And they answer that question. Then in the next question, I say, you know, when is her birthday? It right. knows that her it's is my cousin. probably your cousin. And right? it hopefully can follow that not just through a conversation, but maybe over multiple days and gets to know you and the kinds of questions you ask and who these various people in your life are. So when you check up on the girlfriend that you're obsessed with, like for the 17th time today, you're just like, what is she up to now? And it just tells you, it knows exactly what you mean. So I hope this doesn't derail it too much, but I want to talk about this a little bit, which is these all feel like kind of search problems to me. Mm -hmm. Like, to what extent is this just a search engine with a natural language interface on it? Like, uh, let's say you type into Google or Facebook's search box, you know, what's the weather like where my cousin lives? You'd think that those services would be able to figure that out and answer it for you in the same way. Yeah, no, I mean, th- that's exactly what it is. And, and that's why I put this lowest on the list of transformative trends, because essentially all of these but you could that, see all this working in text you, is what I'm you, suggesting. Or you could do all this now by yeah. just accessing all these different services. It would take you a little longer to go look up the weather and then go look up where your cousin lives and then go look up their birthday. But it isn't uh, increasingly like Google will just surface results, right? Like uh, I don't even have to search Wikipedia anymore. Usually if I search something, the Wikipedia article pops up on Google on the right in its own special box that it just figures you probably want. Right, it'll pull out a section of the Wikipedia out. Right. Which is really cool. Which is usually exactly what I'm looking for. Like nine times out of ten, I don't even need to click through. What I'm looking for is right there. And the tenth time, I click through. But like, it seems like it'd be in Google's interest and Facebook's too to be able to kind of do that all over the place. Well, you know, if they can do it in text, they can obviously... Just slap a natural language interface on it and, and apply it to any of these systems. I mean, it just seems like on a certain level, personal assistant software is, it's just the search engine getting better. Right. Well, along this axis that we're talking about, I'm just talking about if you add a natural language interface, this is the thing. I don't think it's that transformative. Essentially, this is a a convenience technology. And I don't think it has that big of an impact on like a power user. Like somebody who already knows how to use these services, look through Wikipedia, Mm -hmm. type the right queries into Google this is not going to give you access to new stuff. Who it's really good for, I think, are people who are bad with computers. Right, right, uh, right. People with visual or physical impairments. Sure. People who are illiterate. Uh-huh. And uh, people who maybe need to multitask while like operating something, like right. a vehicle. I mean, that's really where the big benefits of this are. To me, it's the vehicle thing. That's the only use case that I've done, the talking to the computer. Well, because you're in the power user category that I just mentioned. Right, So this right. doesn't help you as much as it helps grandpa. 
Exactly. But grandpa may suddenly have access to all of the same computer programs that you're already so comfortable using. It's true. Or very similar functional access, which is, yeah, that's really interesting. Now, bef- before we move off of this topic, though, I wanted to, to bring up one other strategy that's being used, which okay. is that Facebook's new personal assistant software, which they're just calling M, they're doing a hybrid model that includes humans on the other end, as well as software working together to deliver what you're asking for. Uh-huh. But it doesn't tell you, you know, when the human takes over or when the software takes over. It's completely opaque to you. You just ask your question or give your request, you know, book me a hotel or whatever it is, uh, send a, a gift to my friend on his birthday, and it does what you asked. And at some point, maybe it was confusing to the software, and the software had to hand it off to a human who then took over. And then the human taking over actually ended up training the software to be better next time. Or at least that's the theory. (laughs) So this sounds like a much more expensive way to do this. Yeah. Because they're actually talking about hiring a team of people. But the trick is that those people are actually, they're actually programming the software by training it. Which is an interesting side effect is that their job is essentially... To replace themselves. Exactly. By doing a complicated task enough times that the computer can figure out how to do it. Right. By watching them. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, really amazing (laughs) and feels like something you would read about in a William Gibson novel rather than something that would actually be happening in the real world. But I I think the other aspect of it is that while this is expensive, Facebook can probably bankroll this and it should be extraordinarily good because it's got human intelligence built into it. Now, in some ways that I guess makes it outside of the definition. um, Well, it makes it more like Uber and less like uh, an AI virtual assistant. You know, you're, you don't, you can't, you're not rich enough to afford a personal assistant all the time, but you can rent one for a little while through this Facebook. I'm assuming this costs money. No, I, is Facebook offering this for free to users? That, or are they planning to? I guess obviously it's not out now, right? I think it, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think it may be free. That's crazy. Uh, if they think they're going to finance it via, you know, cooperation with local businesses that are going to be used in the fulfillment of the tasks or, you know, in terms of like working advertising into it, like they always do. I mean, you know, that's their whole model is to offer services for free and then to sell advertising and, right, and leverage those relationships. Right, yeah. right. Well, that's really interesting. I'm very curious to see how that works out. That's really compelling and bizarre. Uh, and potentially like bad news if it's pushing you hard toward like products that you don't need. Well, that is an issue with all of these personal assistants. But for now, let's just end this section by saying this is another strategy. We're not really going to return to this idea of, you know, human AI Hybrids. hybrid assistance. No, I mean, mostly we're talking about actual AI attempts to, uh, to, to truly automate this task. Right. So I think that the thing that's the flashiest technology right now that we're seeing is the natural language processing. And while it's really cool, it doesn't change the world for everyone. Although, you know, for someone who's blind, it, it could be a big deal. Right. So, for someone who's blind, it opens up a whole new way of interacting with the computer that's probably going to be really fruitful for them. So that's really amazing. And for people who are just more auditory for any reason, I think they might find that this is helpful. Yeah, for me, I'm thinking this natural language processing, I would like to just take advantage of it by typing. Because to me, talking to my computer still feels weird. Right. Well, I can type now much quicker than I can talk. I'm at that point Yeah. in my typing ability, which, you know, not everybody is. So for me, I can think, and t- much faster than I can think and speak. So yeah, I like the idea of just search getting better and basically all these exact same features being available in like the Google search bar. Well, and, and you should be able to type your request in the most natural way possible and it should figure right. it all out and like, have all these same features. Like natural grammar understanding, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily need to do inflection. and Inflection is an interesting question. I don't know if anybody's working on that aspect of this. I mean, that would be a whole additional level like if it could tell if you were sarcastic and so on right well that would be a way that um this stuff could eventually surpass text although you know text is pretty good we have punctuation marks so you can actually do a lot yeah just put lol on the end and it knows you're sarcastic that's right or a winking emoticon sure yeah okay so the second category of improvement that i wanted to bring up which i think is a bigger deal okay is just having access to lots of contextual data both about big data 
Right, both about you, the user, and about the environment that you're in. So this is about all the sensors and all of the crunching that's happening. Exactly. This is where I think you actually get serious gains from this that will start to feel like a different world eventually. First, I want to talk about personal data, like your data that it needs, right? Again, if this is like any good human personal assistant, it's going to benefit from knowing you and knowing you well. And it might have to learn, right? It might have to learn your habits and, and be trained before it actually does the best possible job. And I think it's going to be the same for this software. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you know certain companies already have huge data sets, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, et cetera. And these are the companies that are you know developing this assistant software. You know, No big surprise there. They're the ones that are poised to do it because of all the data they have access to. Right. What's interesting is that they have access to different kinds of data sets, right? Like right. Amazon. Amazon knows what you buy. Knows what you buy. Facebook knows who you. Who you are friends with. Care about. Yeah. And Google knows what you're looking for. Right. But also they know your email, which is, I think, the reason that maybe their data set. Well, in- all of these places know at least some of your. Well, not Amazon. They don't have your email. But like Facebook has a lot of your messages. That's true. You know, especially since they have WhatsApp and Instagram now. So among all those things, they have a lot of your messages. And then, uh, you know, Yahoo and Microsoft and stuff also have a lot of mail. But yeah, I mean, mail and search data, combine those, that's a pretty intense portrait. Well, because that's the question I want to ask, which is, which company has the best data set, do you think? And my first thought was Google. I don't know if you have a... I think the most complete data set is Google. Yeah. But the thing about both Facebook and Amazon is that they have very profitable niches, Mm -hmm. right? Like, who you're friends with is just such a valuable thing to know. Mm-hmm. And what people buy is intrinsically valuable. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, it's as close as you get to their wallets. So I think even though those data sets are not quite as complete, they can rival the market value of what Google has. So there's all this data that these companies have, yeah. and one limiting factor to them actually using it is that not all of this stuff is actually readable in a form that a computer can understand. And we just mentioned Google has access to your email, but that doesn't mean that they can actually read all of your emails and understand it. Right. Well, my understanding about how they currently have things set up in the post-Snowden world is I believe that all that stuff's encrypted now. So I don't know how much access they have to that data at all. Well, and I mean, this is another limiting factor is personal privacy concerns that people have. Right. And that concern was, I don't think they were doing that before. You know, I think they had inside their systems, it was in the clear and it was only being encrypted when it was leaving the building. I mean, don't they still serve context sensitive ads though? They do. And they must like anonymize that data somehow so that they can access it. I don't know how they do it. But they're still making use of it. So they could still anonymize it and feed it into an algorithm where, you know, no Google employee can look up somebody's email, but so that their algorithm at least knows what to recommend to you. Again, I assume that that's the case. I don't know that for a fact. But yeah, I, I would imagine that that is what they're currently up to. Well, I guess, yeah, like I said, that just adds another problem. I mean, one problem is even if they can read your email, they don't necessarily understand the contents. And number two, yeah, they may not have access if people and governments have an issue well, with so, this. Well, so but this is somewhere where improved natural language processing, which we were just talking about, could open that up to them, right? right? So if they can get plain text, maybe it's anonymized or whatever, out of your email, and they can feed it through a natural language processor that works, it will be able to tell a lot of context and extract a lot of usable information Right. So I think there's definitely reasons to think that that's going to get better and possibly quickly because it's the same. It's the other side of the same technology that they're working on, like right. you said, for the natural language interface. So anyways, an, another limiting factor to them taking advantage of the data is, is something we touched on earlier, which is that individually, these companies don't have access to everything that they could know about you. They only know what passes through their system and they're not necessarily going to be willing to share with each other all the time. Right. So they have these pretty big gaps. Now, a simple example I could use would be, say, Amazon's recommendation algorithm, which, while it's not technically personal assistance software, I think is essentially very similar technology. Again, it's one of these things where you can see it growing right into that. Exactly. Along with the search box. Yeah. So I, just, just, just as an experiment, I, I pulled up Amazon, clicked on their suggestions to see what it was going to recommend me, to see how well it knows me. Yeah. And I use Amazon a lot. Mm-hmm. So in books suggested one that I already know about and want. So I guess that was a pretty good suggestion Mm -hmm. because I just hadn't bought it yet. But then it suggested one that my mom just gave me. It doesn't know what I already have. Uh It suggested five that are actually recommendations for my sister because I buy her a lot of books for gifts. Right. 
So that's pretty low batting average. But those are good recommendations for you to buy. They're just not recommendations for you to read because they're not wrong that you might buy those kind of books. That's true. So you got to think about it from their perspective. (laughs) They don't care who you're giving the book to. I realize, but it's not, if it added a little part to the end, like, you know, save time next time your sister has a birthday and order this now. Right. Hol- then, holidays are coming soon. Then that would be helpful. But instead it says you might like, and I'm like, why is it showing me this book? And then I'm like, oh, this is something my sister would like. Yes. It asked me to buy again, paper, envelopes, pens, etc. None of which I've run out of. Right. Because it doesn't know what I still have at right. home. This could be fixed, of course. Uh, you can imagine this is fixed even like automatically by like a box that has an RFID tag that you know, goes off when you take out the last one or something and, you know, alerts your computer and your computer just auto orders or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then it suggested to me a bunch of games. I buy a lot of games, but four out of five of them I already have. So again, it doesn't to know. To be fair though, you have a tremendous number of games. I have a tremendous number of games, but it doesn't know which ones I have, even though I. I don't know which ones you have. Why should you? I shouldn't, I guess. My personal assistant, though, should. Yeah. So get on that, George. But what I'm saying is the reason I brought all that up is a lot of that information is in my Gmail. Mm -hmm. So if all of this knowledge was pulled together. That's true. It should at least be able to pull out things like receipts that are structured. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you buy a game on Amazon, it probably sends you an email. Right. But now Amazon would have that. But let's say I buy it from another website. Right. But Google should be able to. That still goes to Google. Yeah. Right. It's not so much that a lot of this information is offline, and a lot of it is. A lot of this information is online somewhere, but right, a it's combination not being of private corporations and incompatible data formats, and difficulty in structuring this kind of data, and uh, people's privacy concerns, you know, are making it pretty difficult to stitch all that stuff together. Exactly, and the fact that each of these companies has their own little private pool of data makes me wonder if as the services get better, if it's just going to push us further in the direction of it being advantageous to consumers to have loyalty to one company, right? Yes. Because the ecosystem debate. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've had this debate with other we, technologies before. We have talked about this before, and this is a common theme as we imagine the future. The nightmare scenario in a way, which is developing, I think, um, in a lot of these technologies is multiple competing walled gardens that have minimal compatibility, like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, mm-hmm. right? And Microsoft. And, you know, you get into one of those ecosystems and then you invest money in apps and licenses to content and devices and other things. And then that money is stuck there. If you switch platforms, switch devices, switch software, you can't take, in many cases, your licenses and such with you. Well, and to me, personal assistant software seems like one of the biggest contenders for a walled garden endgame. Because if you think of an actual personal assistant, a human personal assistant, once you train them, you don't it's not that easy to just fire them and bring in a new one. The most valuable thing about a personal assistant is the fact that they've been with you for a while. Yeah, you, you, it's not that easy to just switch. So I think if these are analogous at all to real personal assistants, you're not going to want to switch over a small problem. You know, you're going to want to stick with that company and with really with that assistant that you know and love. Right. Well, and it's going to be easier to correct this particular problem in your current assistant than to retrain a whole new assistant who doesn't know you yet. Um, who hasn't been corrected on any problems yet. And this is uh, potentially dangerous, I think, because it really raises the cost of switching companies. I mean, right now, Google knows, you know, where my house is, where my work is, how long my commute is, you know, stuff like that. If I were to switch to an Apple phone tomorrow, it wouldn't take Siri that long to catch up. A month or two from now, Siri would know everything that Google knows, right? But if the sensors get to be more and the data gets to be bigger, you could see that getting to the point where, you know, it'd take a year to catch up. You'd want to be able to do a dump, like if you left. Like, let's say mm-hmm. you wanted to switch companies. You should be able to download all your information in a big, uh, you know, standard format clump. You can do this like from Facebook now. Like uh, Facebook gives you like a download option and you can just download a zip file. I've done it. Mm-hmm. And it's just all your conversations in text files, all your pictures as JPEGs. It, they're very common formats. They're not necessarily really rich formats, but you can easily read them. 
So that's a good solution because somebody could build a tool that uploads all that and auto trains their system to be, you know, close to as good as your last system was. Right. Maybe it won't get everything perfectly because the systems are designed differently, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it should be able to get it up to speed so that you're not wasting a year or whatever. Sure. Well, and an alternate vision might be that these applications may learn really quickly. The retraining cost probably will be not as bad as it would be for a human. You would okay, think. so th- that's cool. That's a cool idea. That's making me think of another, an alternate negative scenario. Which is what? <laughs> Which is where when you leave a company, they don't necessarily delete all your data, right? Like mm-hmm. people talk about this with like Facebook now. They have, you know, they'll hide your data, but they won't exactly delete it from their servers. They're still using it in whatever mysterious ways sure. behind the scenes. And you imagine that would be the same thing with these softwares. So it's a little bit creepy. Like, let's say I decided I don't want to use Google's system anymore. I want to go to Microsoft. But then Google is still going to, like, know that stuff about me. It's never going to go away. And that stuff just seems very intimate and complete compared to what companies know about you now. Sure. But in this alternate vision that I was just imagining, it's like kind of the opposite of that, which is there's already a model of you everywhere that they've already created from all the public data about you. Because so much of your data is just fully public and can be sussed out from Mm -hmm. the people you know and from other sources of data. And that the day you sign up and you like connect your accounts and they suck in the private data that they haven't had access to, like within seconds, they basically catch up. So the positive part of that is you can easily change from company to company uh, and you don't have to worry about, you know, startup time. Mm -hmm. The negative is that's even creepier because now without your permission, without your knowledge, without you getting anything in return for it, these companies that have, you know, their own aims, they have marketing aims, know tremendous amounts about you. Right. And they, the way that could work is they've already, again, built the model of you on their server and right. they give you a free trial where they're like, you know, try out our new assistant for 10 minutes. Right. And you talk to it for a little while and you're like, wow, this thing really knows me. You're hired. Right. Assistant. Well, and and the second you sign up for that free trial and it says like connect with Google and Facebook and all your other apps, you do that and it has access to, you know, even more information than it did before. It's just going to instantly get better. So even those first 10 minutes, it probably goes from being pretty good to like, great. It's interesting in this context too, to talk about that company that we mentioned earlier, Viv, because they're a new player, right? Right. But it seems like they have a pretty high barrier to entry, right? Because... People have to trust this brand new company that they've never heard of with their right, very that personal has an data. uncertain future. I mean, one thing that you can be pretty certain of with like Google or Amazon is no one's going to buy them out. They have the money to weather any kind of storm. Now, uh, let, let's quickly go through a couple other types of data, right? Because okay. we're talking about personal data that you generate when you're online. Right. Uh, but there's also offline personal data that could be moved online that currently isn't. Um, there's things right now that computers have access to like your location and your movement data that's pretty easy to collect sure but in the future you might be able to collect things about people's body state their pulse or the amount of sleep they've gotten right Uh, and we've talked in the past about being able to like analyze video signals for a lot of this biometric stuff mm -hmm. so as there's more surveillance and just video in the world or wearable devices could easily measure things like your pulse sure yeah something we've talked about before too are like your offline conversations if it's always on and recording uh, it might pick up your conversations that are not via text and incorporate that into what it knows about you. This, right. This requires, you know, pretty powerful natural language processing. But again, that's driving all of this. Yep. Also, you mentioned video earlier, but once we have smart glasses, it can take in what you're seeing. And that's a vast source of data about who you are, what you're doing, what you need at that point in time. Yeah. So all of that is offline now, but could be moved online. Yeah, I mean, and the the bottleneck there is going to be data transmission, right? I mean, some of that, especially for video, that's by its nature such a data-heavy thing. But, you know, we'll get there. It is a lot of data coming in all at once if it wants to capture everything. So it's it's probably going to have to make decisions, at least at the beginning. And then there's also environmental data that's not, you know, on your person, like 
You That's know, like what's in your fridge and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, this is the, the example you hear all the time of like right. like information about your house, but right. also like maybe about parking spots or the inventory at local stores or the activity of nearby people that you might care about, either because you know them or want to avoid them. Or... Right, right. And you see all of all of these things. Some of this data is trickling into your life. Facebook will beep on your phone if your friend is nearby sometimes, mm-hmm. and things like that. So. We're starting to see all of this come online. And some of this knowledge, too, will come from, you know, explicit sources like sensors or cameras. But some of it, I think, will be just inferred by the access that these computer programs have to a lot of different services and sources of data. They might be able to fill in some gaps where nobody's placed a sensor and nobody's placed a camera, but they can deduce certain information. Right, right. That's interesting. Uh, just sort of deep pattern finding. Exactly. Right. And you mentioned this like trickling online slowly. The impact of this to me is so much huger than just the natural language interface, because this to me really should make the quality of computer interactions get just way, way better. You know, this is assuming we can get over the obvious privacy concerns, which I think we will get over them. But I think it's going to be gradual. I feel like this stuff is just going to get better and better and better but you're not really going to notice it happening. I think it's already basically how it's going. Exactly. I mean, they're just slowly putting, you know, smart thermostats in people's houses and putting uh, uh, Wi-Fi connections in people's refrigerators and these like little tiny things that on their own don't really do much. But you can see them adding up in the future when everything you put in the fridge comes with an RFID tag on it that the fridge recognizes when you put it in and take it out. And then you also have a system set up where it calls the grocery store to deliver you food, you know, and then there's an autonomous vehicle from the grocery store that brings the food to you. And then you realize like, oh, this whole chain of things that I used to have to do myself is now automated. So, so we've done two categories so far, which are natural language interface and all this contextual data. And big data, yeah. Yeah, the, the third one mm-hmm. is, is autonomy, is empowering your personal assistant to make decisions for you. And to me, this is the the craziest one, the most transformative one, the one that is the biggest challenge for people to adapt to, I think much more so even than the privacy concerns. Right. Well, in a way, it's the creepiest because it's the place where the ulterior motives of the software manicure are most opaque to the user. I mean, that concern is up front and center with this, right? (laughs) But so so I kind of created, you know, a sort of a, a sliding scale model that goes from, you know, giving these things less autonomy to more autonomy. So it's like a DEFCON scale kind of? Yeah. It's I like did, one I, to five? I did, it, it is one to five, actually. Okay. So, <laughs> so level one autonomy, right, okay. is you ask a question, but instead of it returning a list, like a search engine or a Yelp request, mm-hmm. it gives you the best option pre-chosen for you and only the one option, which is something that some of these systems already do. So it's the I'm feeling lucky button on Google. Exactly. But you trust it enough that you would rather just take that first option that it suggests to you and avoid the stress of having to make the additional decision of going through a list. Which is exactly what I mean when I say I'm feeling lucky. Right. It's like, I'm trusting Google. Google's going to get the right result at the top. I don't want to bother looking at the list. I hit that button and I go straight there. Exactly. I mean, there is level one autonomy, I feel like, in Google now. Yeah. So that's why it's level one. Yeah, Because it's not very advanced. It's like, we're basically there. Yeah. Now, level two is you're no longer coming to it. It's coming to you, which today happens as well. You get notifications, you get schedule reminders. It's not that sophisticated right now. It's not like it anticipates you're going to get hungry before you get hungry or anything like that. But you can imagine that's the direction it'll go eventually. Right. And that's like Google now has that feature basically already. And Mm -hmm. I think Cortana does this too, where it just like surfaces things. That's how they're calling it. It's like about the time I'm going to leave for work or a little before, it will now beep at me and tell me, What's the traffic Traffic's report? Traffic's bad. Yeah. And things like that. If I look at my phone after I have gone to a movie, it will tell me where I parked my car. Right. Because it realizes that like two and a half hours ago, I went from moving very fast to moving very slow, and I might want to know where the car is now. And this one is interesting because it's really, really useful when it works and really, really annoying when it doesn't. So then what's level three? Level three autonomy would be on a one-time case-by-case basis, you empower it not just to give you information, but to actually do things on your behalf, like send and answer emails or texts like, hey, I'm running late or even more sophisticated information than that, possibly. Subscribe to interesting content for you in your feed that you might like. Uh, And I think the more extreme version of this, the sort of 3.5 level would be like, even allow it to spend money on ordering things for you. Like you just say, I want Indian food tonight, 
do your business computer and it uses your credit card number to make the order. And it looks at your previous orders to try to figure out what you want. And maybe it knows what you had for lunch as well. Right. Uh, I could see that working. I've not used anything that I would trust like that yet. So that sounds like the first one that's a little bit science fictional. This, this is point. the boundary that we're going to be maybe crossing soon where I think we might find it a little difficult to cross just because it does require a certain amount of trust. So like people use uh, autoresponders mm -hmm. to answer emails, but only with pre-written responses, canned responses. Mm -hmm. The idea that it would uh, answer an email with relevant responses um, is, is frightening. I think what I would imagine is the first version of this would pop up a draft and require me to hit send. Yeah, I would think so. Right? I mean, and this is uh, what personal assistants do in, in some cases for their bosses. They say, you know, uh, you just got an email from Jimmy who wants to have a meeting. Should I get back to him and say, uh, you can't do it this week, but you'd like to do it next week? And then your boss says yes. And then you take care of doing that. You don't ask him about all of the specifics. You know, you don't ask him where to put the periods, but you want to know the general gist of the task as far as his preferences go. And then you go and do it. You right. Know? So it still awaits your approval. It, 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 yeah. It distills the task down to a simple question. I feel like this is what a good assistant does, right? Because people want to conserve their decision juice. They want to not make extra decisions. So it distills the decision down to a very simple should I do X, which sounds most efficient, and then you just get a yes or a no, and then if the person wants something else, they can explain what they want, you know, but that way, most of the time, you avoid them having to explain anything, and they just say yes and move on with their life. Yeah, I think that that, you know, that makes sense in certain cases, like in the email, you wouldn't want it to send the email unless it runs it by you, right. but if you've already given it a request, like, if you've said, book like, my flight or something. Sure. Then you've told it whatever you need to tell it and it's going to handle the rest. Yeah. Or like you said, answering texts too. So that's interesting because texts are often like simple questions that are sort of context specific. Mm -hmm. So like if somebody asks, are you running late? It could just say, yes, Ted is running seven minutes late. <laughs> you know, like he should reach his destination. And, that's a feature that I would right? like right away if it just always knew where I was going well, and it, always warned people. It, it, the way it could work now is it could be a, a way that the you know, the text program and the maps program just work together, where if you happen to be navigating your route, it knows how late you're going to be. Right. And it could just automatically answer anyone who texted about your arrival time. It could have a pre-programmed recognition of words like late and ETA and soon, and it could just blast back to those people, you know, your, your ETA. Right. It's just a matter of stitching all those things together. You just have to stitch existing things together. So you can imagine that working soon. I haven't seen that yet, but I could definitely imagine it. And obviously spending money is some is a level of trust, but I think, you know, you, you could get over that. Huh? You just, you guarantee it works or, you know, or your money back. Or well, whatever. if this is a big company that's making this assistant software, then you would feel you'd have some recourse have if recourse. it really screwed you over. Right. Um, and, and you could complain. Uh, so level four uh -huh. is you empower it to take action in a recurring manner that's set up by you in advance, but it could be something like it always orders you groceries when you run out and it doesn't bother to check with you. It just, you set it up in, ahead of time and it will just keep doing what you've instructed it to do. Right. Subscription. Yeah. So it allows you to subscribe to any action, basically. Like, you know, whenever X happens, Y follows. Exactly. And then level yeah. five would be, this is the truly scary one. It completely invents on its own tasks for itself with the explicit goal of, of course, improving your life. So it just literally yeah, is your that best is friend. so hard to wrap your head that around. That wants to help you. I mean, this That's is... her. I mean, yes, but I think without the whole sexual, like, relationship That might really improve my life, though. What do you... I mean, if a sexy Scarlett Johansson computer had phone sex with me, I might have a better life. Maybe, but I mean, I, I you could say it's like her, or you could just say it's like what a real personal assistant might do in some cases, which is just after they know you well enough, just be like, okay, I know what this person wants here right. or would want, so I'm going to set up this system in place that's going to make their life better. Right. But that is practically human-level AI, so it, it does seem we're a long way from that. Yeah. Well, and I think you might get some effects of that if you combine the four things we've talked about above. Mm -hmm. But yeah, actually programming something with that explicit goal sounds incredibly difficult. Yeah, that, that's the most far off. That's why that's level five. And we've already covered some of the, the impacts of this stuff. Like at every level, I think it requires increasing trust in the machines. 
But I think as we talked about with Tyler Cowen's book, Averages Over, people who trust in the machines are likely to do better and have advantages that people who don't trust the machines don't get. Right. I think there will be like an ideal time to adopt this software. Early on, it's not going to matter that much because it's not going to be that effective at improving your life. Right. It's going to be more trouble than it's worth at first because you're going to have to train it so much. But at some point, you're going to want to jump wholeheartedly into this, give this thing full access to your personal data. and And just let it improve things. Because it's just, it's not going to be like the people who waited to get on Facebook or the people who waited to get smartphones. This would be a much more dramatic asymmetry than that. Like the people who wait to take advantage well, of this software. It's going to be more akin to the people who waited to like make apps and now are trying to make apps, but didn't during the boom. Right. People on the business side of things that were but On the like, business side, because everybody, it's like the business of being you, you know, a lot of people are going to get the advantages of this at a certain point. You want to be in that wave of people. I think you do. I mean, despite the privacy issues, despite the trust issues, I I think, yeah, you don't want to miss this one, it would seem. No, this seems like it could transform your life in like a a really visceral and pragmatic way. Yeah. Okay. So those are the three categories that that I wanted to go through. Let's very quickly just run through a whole bunch of questions real quick that that I think this raises that we maybe haven't touched on yet. Okay. So... One is, will these personal assistants be anthropomorphized or not, right? Right. A lot of them have names, female names, and... There's two strategies right now. There's the disembodied female voice, the Cortana, Siri, and Alexa strategy. And then there's the Google strategy, which is that it's it's an abstract computer. It's Mm -hmm. not... It's like talking to HAL 9000. It's not a person, really. Well, I think I know where you and I come down on this. Well, certainly I think as an early adopter, it's going to be less weird to deal with the Google strategy, to deal with the more abstract thing. But uh, as it goes on, I don't know. I could see it going either way. I'm just not sure what the personality elements really add. Uh, It seems like you want your interface to be transparent. I'm sure some people will like it. No, I think people are always going to be better at being people and that what computers will be good at is doing all of the work that that person used to do. The actual scheduling and the reminding and the cajoling and the contacting and, you know, all of that. Not to mention, like, I don't even know if I'd feel comfortable ordering like, like a human personal assistant that I was paying around. I understand this is just software, but if it starts like acting like it has a personality and feelings, like isn't that just going to make me feel worse about just telling it what to do? It's essentially my slave. Like I don't want it to like appear to be sentient even remotely. Like I want it to just be invisible. Right. I mean, yeah, I think the best strategy for this thing is it essentially becomes an extension of your own will and that you barely interact with it at all in a way. And that a lot of that interaction is visual and is contained within your glasses or your phone or whatever the device paradigm that people are using. Like it's essentially just part of you. Like it's the voice in your head that can actually do things in the world. Well, that segues interestingly into the next question I wanted to ask, right? Uh Which is that how this affects social interaction. You know, there's like this app called Crystal right now. I don't know if you've heard of this. No, what's that? That is, does like personality modeling of the people that are in your social network and tries to determine, you know, what kind of language they like in emails, whether they like short responses or long responses or, or it'll, it'll make suggestions as you're writing emails. It's like, you know, telling this while we're talking about it. Ted likes, I don't know if it's a phone app. Uh, uh, maybe it is. I don't know, but look it up. Yeah, so I've not used it, so I don't know how good it is. But, you know, it attempts to make suggestions in social interactions, email, for example, about how you should approach people in your life based upon models of what their personality supposedly is. And to me, we're going to have more of this, obviously. I mean, the personal assistant will tell you and give you suggestions on a date, perhaps, or, or whatever situation you're in, job interview, about what maybe you should say to influence the person you're with. So my question about this is, is it going to be frowned upon as this sort of like creepy, douchey thing? Like, because I mean, right now it would be frowned upon if I wrote you like an important personal email and I had like someone draft it for me, you know, unless we're just strictly business partners or something that would feel a little creepy or weird, right? Well, if you admitted to it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might try to hide it. But like you you mentioned a second ago about the personal assistant just being a part of you. And I think if that's true, you know, it's like your personality has grown beyond you You, because you've set up the preferences for your personal assistant. So, yeah, it's making suggestions when you're in social situations. But if you've tuned that, the personality of your assistant is kind of like an extension of your own personality. Right. 
And that seems like maybe the more likely way for it to go, where people will accept this as just sort of projections of themselves. Right. And assistants tend to be polite and formal in a way that the people they assist aren't. Uh, Mm. So I think your projection might also be that way. It's safer. You're a little bit more polite and formal than you normally would be, and you're less likely to offend anyone. And since a lot of your communication will be read by somebody else's assistant, you won't have to worry about, you know, the email going to somebody and being like, oh, this is kind of formal in tone. I wonder if his assistant wrote this because their assistant's going to be telling them about it and they're going to leave that out because their interest isn't smoothing things over. Yeah, I, I think you're right. So, you I, know, so I think it's sort of a self-fixing problem. But I'm also talking about, I guess my mind is going to the more far out situation of like the real time situation where like I'm in a bar with someone and in my Google Glass are these ongoing suggestions about what I should say based upon how it models this person's personality. Like it's just popping up in my glasses like Ted right now really needs a compliment. That's and, amazing. And if you compliment him, it'll he'll give you what you want or whatever. Oh my god! And it's just like if obviously if you knew about that, but you then would, I'm going to be, be like, sitting the there going like I'm going to have my own glasses on, right? Exactly. And my glasses are going to be like John really needs whatever. He's likely to pay you a compliment to try to get it. Yeah. You could really screw with him and put him out of balance by telling him that you know the thing he compliments you about actually you you're ashamed of. So it's an arms race, right? It's um, it's whoever's got the best NI social analysis software is the most daring and clever conversationalist. It could be giving you reference suggestions, you know, like based on like this person's birth date and how much they watch TV. They'll probably get a Pee Wee Herman reference now. Right. So with any arms race, <laughs> you, you've got to think there'd be some pressure to maybe mutually disarm because at a certain point, both people might be like, all right, this is ridiculous. Let's just talk like human beings and like turn these off for a second. If or, it makes you not talk like human beings, but I'm not sure that that's what it'll do. If it's just sort of like, if it's really well designed, it might just make you talk like the cleverest person you know, whose own mind is already doing this for them and surfacing clever things for them to say. I mean, you're going to know that people are doing this because you're going to be doing it too. So it's not like, it's not going to be a secret. No, but it's also not going to be apparent because it's invisible. If they tell you they're turning it off, you may not know whether or not they've turned it off. Right. So there's that aspect of it. Right. I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll all just get used to this. I, I suspect we will, but I do think it like raises some interesting like cultural questions. Well, right. It's all about how well it works, I think. And, you know, at first it might be clunky enough to be really apparent when you're doing it. And that won't, that won't last long. And then at a certain point, I think it'll be subtle enough that you can just leave it on and it won't feel like it's screwing up your interactions. It's just subtly improving them and getting everybody closer to what they want. Well, to me, the saving grace is if it's helping me to be more like me because I set it up a certain way, it somehow feels better than if it's like I'm getting help from somebody on my shoulder. Like if I think of the assistant as just like an extension of me, like it's the best version of me, right. it feels better than if I'm getting some kind of, like if I'm cheating. No, kind of. I think it's going to be a great way to have, to give yourself more willpower to like hold yourself to the things you'd like to hold yourself to. Because you'll have somebody who's diligent around just reminding you like, hey, you said yesterday that you wanted to order the salad at lunch or whatever the hell it is, you know? Or you can have it just order for you, and then you don't have to make that decision at all, and that's even better. You can you can enforce more of your priors, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. With one of these things, which is that's interesting to me because I have willpower issues where I have a lot of priors. And well, who doesn't? I mean, I don't know. Some people maybe don't, but for me, I feel like I have a lot of them where I like have a prior opinion, and then when I get time to make the decision, I'll do the easier thing instead. I mean, willpower, I think, is one of the biggest problems that people have you know even extremely well-off rich first world people and if you're the company that makes the personal assistant that solves willpower issues i well, think i don't know if it make... solves it but it seems like it would be on a whole an improvement i mean i think you're right that it could have a big impact yeah i don't know it depends you could just always be like shut up assistant well that's the thing is it would have to probably be constantly evolving to short circuit all of your clever ways that you're going to come up with to not do what you want to do. You know what I mean? Right. People are pretty good at that. All right. So let's keep going through. What other questions did you want to try? Okay. So I put a call out for questions actually before recording this episode. And we got two, interestingly, from our, our last guest. Yeah, you weren't here last episode. but no, uh, uh, I, I was spoke... unfortunately busy, but you should yeah cover that. Well, I, uh, I, I spoke with Callum Chase was the guest. Uh, he's the author of a book called Surviving AI. And he replied on Twitter with a, with a couple questions. So I'll just put his questions to you. So his, okay. 
one of his questions was, what will the name of these things be, right? And he, he's like the generic name, he listed a bunch of them, VPAs, DPAs, IAs, a lot of them are acronyms, PAs, DEEPs, VEEPs, agents, like he just made a bunch of suggestions. And I have no answer to this. Like I was just kind of thinking about how we name other things. And, and it seems like we use wildly different strategies. Like we still call phones phones, even though they're not phones anymore. Yeah. So sometimes the old name sticks. We, we call searching basically Googling and, you know, Kleenex, Kleenex. Like sometimes we substitute like the brand name. Eponymous for, brand names. For yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we take on, you know, a more technical name, like social network, you know, that feels like, you know, somebody in academia came up with it or, or, or something. Right. Um, so I really don't know. Yeah. Carl, call Jaron Lanier. Let's see what he thinks yeah. it's going to be called. <laughs> he probably already has one. If, right. Yeah. It's it, whatever he's calling it. It's what it's going to be. No, I, I, I don't like any of these names. And I think it's going to be, honestly, here's my vote. Assistance. That's what they're going to be called. Just keep it short. They're going to be called my assistance. What does assistant say? Yeah. I'm going to get, I, I got a new assistant and it's better than my last one. I, I, I feel like it's possible they'll have some generic name, but I sort of doubt it. I don't know. For some reason, that's my that's my prediction. Yeah, I mean that one rolls off the tongue well. It's easy to say, and I think that's an essential aspect of this. So I'd, yeah. I'd give that one a fair shot. Maybe for a while they're called software assistants, just because there's still humans doing the job. But like you know, they used to call people who ran calculation machines computers, and they don't call any human beings computers anymore. Well, and and you know the companies are going to give them are giving them silly names. Well, like they're giving Siri. them brand names that are either right that are either humanized names that seems to be the main strategy or well you know google which is like just maybe the most incompetent branding organization in the entire universe (laughs) despite being a really good company on a number of other fronts as for whatever reason called their system google now which is just the worst so yeah they may not be the origin of the name another question we also got uh, uh from callum is will digital assistants intermediate the internet of things and then he added, they'd better, or the internet of things will be the internet of telemarketing things. I mean, you're going to be exposed like you are today to all kinds of ads and, and, and sponsored messages, services wanting to sell you things. Sure. And we've touched on this in previous episodes. And it's like, how is your assistant going to help you navigate that? Right. Um, and in fact, is it going to be party to it a lot of the time, which I think is going to be an ongoing concern. Right. Is because there are going to be kickbacks. It is going to be a business model for these assistants that if they route you to a certain self-driving car service that gets you to where you're going, that that self-driving car service pays them back a referral fee. I'm sure there's going to be arrangements like that. Right. I mean, maybe that's not what he was getting at, but to me, that is kind of the issue, right? Is like services want to sell you things. The assistant... Potentially also wants to sell you things. But it also can be, you know, a great consumer reports tool. It also can really right. help you well, navigate that. Well, it can't that. be too bad or you won't use it because mm-hmm. there's going to be competition. There already is. And the thing is, it's going to be pretty opaque. So if it is selling you things and it's doing it unobtrusively enough that you don't notice, then it's not really going to tell you that and you're not really going to know. And that's what's a little bit scary, I think. That's where I worry that it's worse than what we have now in some ways. But um, obviously, the uh, the great benefits of having this were, are just going to outweigh that, and people are going to adopt it. But as long as there's competition, I think it'll self-correct a little bit. Right. I think for me, I would pay a company, and I am notoriously against paying for software whenever possible, but I would pay a company, I think, a subscription or something to have reasonable assurance that my personal assistant was not taking kickbacks or was taking kickbacks only from places that were transparently disclosed to me, et cetera, in order to allow it to interact with these other services that are out there that obviously do have goals to sell me things, but give me more peace of mind about what its priorities are. Right, right. Well, and you also, I mean, one of it, the jobs of an assistant is to like filter incoming stuff too, right? right. So you want it to just handle all the, the spam and, and like, telemarketing that's coming your way. Well, and I have like a personal preference for not consuming like too much unnecessary stuff, you know, like I like to live frugally. So I might program my assistant to like reduce the number of things I buy intentionally, mm-hmm. try to find things that can be used for multiple purposes, etc. Give me creative suggestions on how to save money. Exactly. 
So that might lead to me using, utilizing a different company, which is fine, as long as it serves my goal. But then, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that we talked about in the advertising episode that is, you know, this could be a, a delivery mechanism for that nightmare is the idea that it gets good enough at guessing your personality that it overrides your ability to say no. And like a super version of QVC that works on everyone, it sells you crap that you don't technically need or that you can't afford and that you can be convinced to want in the right moment. There's a lot of marginal goods in the world that like we might buy in the right moment with the right message, but that we don't actually want. And if it causes people to buy those, then that's potentially really bad. <laughs> Let's end the episode like we usually do by pushing this topic as far out as we possibly can, which to me, the, the absolute far out end game for this technology is something that has been dramatized in science fiction. Like, for example, in those, those Marusek books, like Counting Heads, in that book, you can create an actual temporary copy of yourself, right? Called a proxy or in Robin Hanson's book, which is, you know, actually nonfiction prediction, right? The term he uses is spurs, right? Where, right. where emulated minds can copy can... themselves uh, temporarily. Right. So right. to me, that is the ultimate in personal assistant software is like a digital copy of yourself that only exists for a few hours. Calvin and Hobbes, I think, dealt with this the best way. And it's classic scientific progress goes boink <laughs> strip. I forget this one. We'll have to where, link to it. Oh, Calvin uh, turns a cardboard box upside down and tur it turns it into a cloning machine. And he decides he's going to make a clone of himself that will go to school for him. And then the clone, the problem, of course, with it is that it's Calvin. So it doesn't want to go to school. <laughs> it makes Calvin go to school. <laughs> and then while he's at school, it clones itself several more times. And basically, they just cause a ton of trouble that Calvin gets blamed for. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem that comes to my mind when I read either the, the science fiction versions or the Robin Hanson version of this, which is like, right. why will this... Why do they work? With it. Right. Why don't they, why don't they just be like, no, I, neither of us wants to do this. That's why you created me. Well, and actually, you know, the Robin Hanson does have an explanation for that in his world, but that's in the context of emulated minds. And there's a lot of things different in that world. Right. Um, well, but, and Marissa has an explanation too, but it's sort of silly. It's like they think about the task really hard, right? When they're casting the proxy. Right. When you're creating the copy of yourself, you, right. you, you think about what you want it to do. Right. And that like births it with this, you know, with like a goal, this like need to do the task. But I mean, that implies to me a really deep understanding of the human brain that it can go in and do that. And I'm not sure that, you know, we'll be there at the time that we're just being able to emulate brains. I mean, that seems like maybe further along the, the, the path. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the second I realized I was a copy that was like birthed to perform a single task, I would just be like overcome with like existential horror. I'd just be like, so... Yeah, they'd I'm have to program you to like feel really great when you thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so I'm going to do this one, you know, I'm going to organize these files or whatever it is I'm going to do, and then I'm just going to be extinguished. Right. Well, and then there's the idea of like merging the consciousnesses back together, right? Which mm -hmm. Hansen talks about. And that's cool, but also I'm not sure I'm into that because like for me... I don't want to be the consciousness that's merged back in. That sounds like you're copying my data and killing me. And then somebody else is going to think they're me. That doesn't sound like I get consciousness continuity with the new being. So, right. Well, I, so we, I'm scared of that. Well, we have all these problems with it. And so, you know, again, Robin Hanson does have the answer to that, which, because in his world, this is, these are emulated brains that are, that are able to do this, which makes more sense than a human, uh, a meat-based human being able to do this. And his explanation is, you and I basically wouldn't be scanned and turned into these right. workers. That somebody are, who didn't care would be. Exactly. Somebody with a yeah. personality that was comfortable. So I'm with, unlikely to be the future M Pappy of the new M civilization. Right, right. Yeah, you and I don't really have the personality type to be comfortable existing as a temporary copy, but presumably people like this might be out there. And you only need one of them, right? Because then you right. can copy them a, you know, infinite number of times. Yeah, well, anyways, so this has been the future of personal assistance. We try to take it as far as it can <laughs> that go. That is the future of personal It's Yeah, I mean, emulated brains working for all of us. Okay, well, thanks for listening. I just want to go through a couple things before we wrap up. Number one, quick Kickstarter update. Our graphic novel, Let Go, is doing fantastically well right now. We've reached our goal. So thank you so much to anyone in our listening audience who's helped us out. If you're curious, though, 
about a graphic novel and you haven't checked it out yet, you can go to letgocomic.com and see what we're working on. The Kickstarter may be funded, but we still have a stretch goal we're going for, and it's still obviously an opportunity for you to get a copy of the book if you want to order one. In addition, if you're an iOS user, we have a podcast app that makes it easy to get our episodes when they come out, so check that out in the iTunes store. And third, I just want to remind everybody that one of the best ways you can help support the show is to go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever service you use. So that is all for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.